Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lose the Cape podcast, episode 108. Today we are super excited to interview author Laura Jack. She's just written and published a wonderful book, The Compassion Code, which teaches us all about how to do and say the right things when the wrong things happen You know, we've always, all of us have been in a situation before where someone has experienced some type of loss or grief or unfortunate situation or even like with what's happening in a world right now where just bad things are happening and we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, we don't know how to reach out to those people that we may not identify with but want to show that we care. Her book is full of tips and uh coaching tools and all kinds of information to help you know how to talk to people when something like this happens. Laura's also a mom. She's got a two-year-old and another baby on the way. We talk about her life, her interesting life, how she started working in a a hostel in Panama. She started a company down there with some friends of hers and how her life evolved after her mother died. And it's just a great interview. Laura is so sweet and so wonderful. And I know that you will enjoy learning about how she came to write The Compassion Code and how we can all implement more compassion in our lives and make the world a better place because love wins always. Her book is available today on Amazon. So we're super excited to be a part of her launch process and uh, please enjoy the rest of the show. Have a great day. Oh, you can catch all the show notes at losethecape.com forward slash podcast forward slash 108. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Lose the Cape podcast, where we interview busy modern moms and moms uh, and non-moms who support moms in their day-to-day lives. Uh, Today, we are really excited to talk to Laura Jack, who has become a good friend of mine over the past six, eight months. Um, Laura Jack is a trainer for the Grief Recovery Institute and Mastery Level Transformational Life Coach. Using practices of self-care and self-love, she helps people rediscover their light after loss. Laura's mission is to cultivate a culture of compassion, starting with self, and to create a better understanding about loss and its accompanying grief. When she's not trying to build a more compassionate world, you can find her playing with her friends and family, walking in the trails of Austin, or traveling all over the world, because that's what she does, even pregnant. (laughs) Laura leads by example, and thriving is the name of her game. And we are super excited to talk to her, because when this airs, I think this is actually going to air on your book launch date. Let me see what day of the week that would be. Nope, it'll 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 air the day. I'm, I'm looking at January. I've already lost my mind. <laughs> what month is it? Not only January, January 28th. August. Her book yes. launches August 16th, and it is the Compassion Code, How to Say the Right Thing When the Wrong Thing Happens. And it's a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous book with so much good stuff in it. So welcome, Laura. Yay, I can't wait to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, lady. Yes. So, well, tell us a little bit more about you. You have one. How old's your daughter now? 
She's two and a half. She says, I'll be three on Halloween. On Halloween. Is that her birthday? She's she's a Halloween baby. (laughs) That's so cute. And and then then, then, the new baby is due when? Right around there. So I'm due sometime (laughs) between her birthday and November 9th. So we'll see. I don't know. And it's a boy. So we'll have a little girl and a little boy. That's so exciting. So um, for those people who don't know you at all, um, tell us a little bit about, mm-hmm. I think you have such a fascinating background. So tell us about for all the way back to starting when you opened your own um, hostel, because I love that. <laughs> the, oh, sorry. You cut out for saying, I'm assuming you said hostel. Yes, I did. Right. <laughs> yes, I feel like that's what most people want to know about. Um <laughs> So when I was a senior in college, I had gone and done study abroad in Santiago, Chile. And a few of my friends who uh, were in some of my business classes had also studied abroad. And so when we came back for our senior year of university, we all were kind of like, well, we don't really want to get real jobs. Let's go do something (laughs) else. Um, I was a Spanish major with a, a minor in marketing or a specialty in marketing. Um, and so I was the only one of the few of us who spoke Spanish and they wanted to do like this in Latin America. And so we were in a business class where we had to create a business plan and the business plan was to open a hostel somewhere in Latin America. And so that actually became a reality. We were (laughs) out one night having a really good time and we're like, we should really do this. Like, this isn't just like something we should talk about. We should do this. And so after we graduated, a few of these guys who I had been friends with in college and in some of my business classes, and then one of their friends from home decided to actually start this hostel. I moved to Panama in 2005, so a little bit later, a year later. And so we started our first hostel, which in the course of the several years that I was there became three hostels and two bars on an island in the Caribbean called Bocas del Toro, Panama, and then in Panama City, Panama. So That's my Spanish odd. degree actually came into <laughs> practice. That's awesome. How long <laughs> were you I down there? Spanish. How long were you running there? For then? about five, five years. Um, and two of the three are actually still in existence. Well, the first one's still in existence too, but we don't, it's not through my old business partners anymore. So we sold that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about it that is so amazing is that that was kind of the beginning of my coaching career. Like mm-hmm. I realized even then that backpackers who are basically budget travelers, typically between the ages of like 18 and 35 are on this like quest of finding mm-hmm. themselves. And so because I was kind of the mama there or, you know, like it was my place and I was the only girl, you know, running the show with these boys, <laughs> I kind of became this like person that everybody came to and talked to about their stuff, which that was nothing new, but it was only the place that I feel like I really stepped into this kind of mentorship role for all these people my age or younger. Yeah. So. So what led you from being an entrepreneur and and hostel owner into the world of grief recovery? So in 2008, my mom was run over by a car. So this like sudden death of the most important person in my life 
really was the catalyst to me just being like, well, what the heck do I do with my life now? Because the, the hostess in me, which is what my life was like in Panama and like this, you know, fun loving, like bar running person, I just couldn't function on that level at mm-hmm. that time because my mom's death was so sudden and so just like tragic. And it just, I really couldn't keep going the route that I was going. And so I ended up moving back to the States and I became a massage therapist <laughs> um, and then like became a, a health coach. And then I actually moved back to Panama for another year and helped my old partners run and the, the third hostel that we had just opened right when my mom died. So Aaron, my now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, he came with me. We ran the hostel together. We got it up and kind of into a place that felt really good to all of us. And then Aaron and I went traveling for a year um, around the world, which, you know, you talk about my world travels. That was one of the times where I've gotten to do some really cool traveling. And, um, but my mom's death really just was kind of this thing that shook me to the core and had me really questioning my life and what I wanted to do with my life and who I was and how I was functioning because I wasn't functioning really at the same level. And so that kind of led me to be like, well, what do I want to do? And so the, the massage therapy and the health coaching, and then that led to transformational life coaching and, you know, helping people with behavior change. And then at some point I was just like, there's still something missing here. Like, I know that I'm supposed to serve people, but I don't really know how. Mm-hmm. And so I'll give you like the two minute version, but basically I was home at my parents' house and it was the anniversary of my mom's death. And my dad is very logical. He's a finance guy. He's a businessman. He's like very left brain. And my mom was like the intuitive, like feeling like also very organized, but just had a lot of that like very in touch with self and always telling like, listen to your heart and all that kind of stuff. So I'm home for the anniversary of her death and I'm talking to my dad about health coaching because that's what I've been doing at the time. I was like, dad, do you think I can make this health coaching thing work? And he's like, well, let's get out the spreadsheet. <laughs> See, <laughs> of course he the did. Numbers, <laughs> that sounds the like numbers my work. <laughs> oh, and I was like, I, I, I played with it because that's, I know that's how my dad is and I don't know why. I even asked him because all I was looking for was, yes, I believe in you. Um, and I know he believes in, but like, I was like wanting him to just be like, yes, Laura, you can do it. It's you're going to, you know, make it happen. And so I go to my room crying because that wasn't what I was looking for was like filling in spreadsheets and trying to figure out if the financials make sense. And so I say to Aaron, I say, God, if my mom were here, she would know what I should do. And I like fall asleep crying. I'm like, so just frustrated and angsty. And I'm just so like sad that I just don't have my confidant there. And in the middle of the night, around three or four in the morning, I wake up and for the first time in my life and the only time, unfortunately, I hope it happens again, but I could feel my mom's presence in my room. Mm. And I was in my childhood room too, which was really cool. But I'm like looking around the room and I'm like, where are you? Like, I felt her. I felt her presence. I like expected her somehow like to be sitting in the, like perched in the corner of the room or something, but (laughs) I couldn't see her, but I could feel her so 
real. Like it was so real that I was just like, where are you? Where are you? And so all of a sudden these thoughts start flooding in my head, love, loss, love, love, loss, love over and over again. Until finally I get my phone out and like in the dark and I'm like, you know, typing <laughs> on my phone, love, loss, love, love, loss, love. And I'm like, what does that mean? And so finally, like after I type it out, all these other thoughts start flooding into my head. And I go into the other room because I'm like, this is not going anywhere. So I, I get out paper and I start journaling, like scribbling as fast as I can, as fast as these thoughts are coming. And so around 8 or 8.30 the next morning, my dad is the first person up and I haven't slept because I've been writing all this time. Oh my gosh. And I go, to, <laughs> I go into the room and I'm like, dad, you would not believe what just happened. And he's like, I just saw you. What are you talking about? It's like, no, mom came to me. Like mom visited me. And that's not really our like faith tradition that to have visitors like that. So he's like, okay, like that's nice. Um, but I'm like, can I read you all the stuff that I just wrote? And I read him like all about love, lost love and all. Of, I wrote my first talk that I ever actually ended up giving about grief. Um, and I look up after, you know, reading to him for 15 or 20 minutes and he's crying. Oh. And I was like, okay, like this is something real because if like my dad, it's not that he was unemotional about my mom's death because he was, but you know, because he's such a logical person, like it was, it meant so much to me to see that this like hit him in the heart, you know, really touched him. And I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. So basically like from that day forward, which was January 5th, I think 2000. 10 or 11 or 12 or something around there. I can't remember what year it was. I was like, this is my journey and I'm going to do this. Like I'm going to help people love life again after loss because I had lost my love for life and I've always been a lover of life and I want people to be able to love life again, even if they've gone through horrific, terrible, horrible, unimaginable things, yeah. because I think it is possible. So that's my story. That's such a great mission. So you, you, um, you got trained then, and then you, you now, how, how do you do that specifically? How do you work with people? How do you help them? So I, I read like thousands of books about <laughs> grief and I was always like looking for like something that really resonated with me. Like somebody has to know the answers to these questions that I have. And you know, every book, just kind of fell a little short. Like I just, there was always something about the books that I read where I just was like, well, this isn't quite right or this isn't it. Um, and then I came across the grief recovery handbook, which is to me, like my, my grief Bible, I'm not uh, a religious person per se, but I feel like for grief, it is like the guide. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I read it kind of with this kind of skepticism of what's, you know, what's going to be good about this, or is there going to be anything good about this or whatever. And as I flip through the pages, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like everything in it just resonated with me so deeply. And I immediately, as soon as I finished, which was like two days later, I turned the book over and I saw that there's a number for the grief recovery Institute. I'm like, Oh, there's an Institute. That's cool. <laughs> and so I called it. I was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get trained by these guys. And so their next sort this was in January, their next certificate or maybe February, their next certification in Houston, which was close to where we were living in Austin was in December. So it was mm. like, that's in like 
10 months, you know, so I was like, what am I going to do? And so I ended up helping all my friends, like in the book, it like gives you kind of the plan of like, how do you work through your grief? So I like did, worked through a bunch of my own relationships. I worked with a few of my friends through their relationships. I just started like helping people using this grief recovery method. So by the time I got to the training in December, I knew the training like as well as the trainer maybe. And so I, little did I know was Cole James, who is the founder of the Institute's son. Um, and he was, it was, he was there on his first training that he was doing by himself. Uh -huh. And so there were just these little moments where he like would like lose his place or something. And I'd like raise my hand and ask some kind of guided question, like the annoying pupil that I can be. <laughs> and, and he like during the first break, he calls me over and he's like, Hey, come here a second. It's like, what's going on? He's like, did my dad send you here? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, he didn't send me. Why? And he's like, cause every time I seem to get lost, you kind of are helping me out. And I was like, Oh yeah, I just know this material really well. I've been like teaching it for the last 10 months since I talked to you. And so he's like, I think you should be a trainer. And I was like, me too. And so I started taking, becoming like a trainer after that. So starting like a few months later, I went to my first training. I trained all through 20, whatever, 13 or 14, whatever that was. And um, and then now I've been training for the Grief Recovery Institute. So I travel around the country and I teach these certifications to counselors and clergy and social workers and basically anybody who wants to become a certified grief recovery specialist, I get to help them get these new skills. And then I also get to work with grievers, which is amazing because I mean, everyone's a griever, but you know, only some people will accept that within themselves, right? We've all been through stuff. And then I actually created my own online program um, called the ABCs of surviving to thriving, which is much more about like the, who am I now after loss? So if any of you who are on the call, which I know, I know you, you know, Alexa have gone through your own loss and po possibly Aubrey since what she does with her <laughs> like caregiving boxes, I don't know yet, but she'll hopefully tell me. Um, like we, one of the biggest questions that I find that people have after they've gone through a loss is who am I now? Mm -hmm. Because we lose some sense of ourselves. Yep. Yeah. And so that's my surviving and thriving program is really about discovering myself. Like who am I? How can I love myself? How can I be kind to myself? And how do I thrive in my life again after loss? And so kind of use those two pieces in conjunction with each other because they work so beautifully together um, to help people thrive again. That's really amazing. Yeah, I, I often tell people there is um, Alexa pre-Catherine and Alexa post-Catherine. They're very different people. Same person, but very different in many different ways, obviously. Oh, yeah. But Absolutely. Actually, I have never experienced I'm not gonna say I've never experienced loss. I've never been dealt with these situations. What happened was I had a friend who had a stillborn baby and I didn't know what to say. So probably I needed your book at the time. So I did the worst thing possible and I didn't say anything like no text, nothing, because there was nothing that was going to make it better. And I finally sent a text that just said, I'm sorry, this sucks because there wasn't going to be a plant that was going to mm -hmm. make it. But I mean, I'm like, I can't send a plant. I can't do that. And every card I read, if I read one more card that said, let me, 
Um, no, sorry, it was me. That's okay. That everything happens for a reason. I'm like, what? And then my sister had a few miscarriages. So I kind of have put together this in the works, living outside of the grief box, like what it's like watching your loved ones go through this and you, you can't, you have no control. You can't make it better. I mean, there's, yeah. So I, I, I go from the perspective of outside that box, mm-hmm. you know, well, yeah, and, that's and awesome. that's, that allows for a really perfect um, connect segue here because I wanted definitely to talk about your new book. And as Aubrey was talking about that, you know, that's one of the things that um, that I talk about a lot too is educating people on what to say and not to say when someone loses a baby. And um, that's the number one search term when people come to my blog is what to say. My friend lost a baby. What do I say? What do I say? Somebody whose baby just died, those kinds of things. And in Laura's new book, which I have been privy to um, work on, um, it, there's a, an entire section on situations like this and things that people think are comforting, but really aren't comforting and what you can say instead. And I think that is so useful because so many people, I mean, and it's, it's funny to me, it's a little bit counterintuitive because we all have people die in our lives. Every one of us, maybe not on a regular basis, but it's, I guess it's just enough spread out that you kind of forget how to respond in a situation like that. I don't know, but people just seem completely frozen or clueless or something when it comes to responding. So I love that section of your book. Thanks. And I love Aubrey that you, um, you know, like, I don't know what to say. This sucks is actually like a perfect response because Mm -hmm. like ultimately, and one of the things I talk about in the book is like sometimes just speaking the truth, which is I Mm -hmm. wish I had the words, but I don't. And there's nothing I can say that can make this better, except I'm here and I love you. And I'm Mm -hmm. sorry that this sucks so much because ultimately that's the truth, which is God, this sucks. And, you know, my brother was one of the people who edited my book and he's like, why do you always say this sucks? I'm like, cause there's nothing more true. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like there's nothing I could be like, this stinks or this is too bad. Or like, <laughs> you know, like this sucks. Oh, darn. <laughs> Gosh, darn it. Like he, cause he doesn't like cursing. And I'm like, that's not cursing one. And two, like it captures some aspect of that feeling, which mm-hmm. is that there's nothing else true except that this really just sucks. And I wish that it weren't like what we had to go through. I wish this weren't true. Yeah. 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 In fact, that phrase, this sucks is um, what really brought me and Aubrey together because when I interviewed her on this podcast, we were talking about, she was telling me the story of when her friend died and that she sent her the text message and said, this sucks. I was like, that's funny, not haha way, but funny that because I start um, Sunshine After the Storm, the book that we wrote for Grieving Mothers, I start it with this sucks. <laughs> so it was like we were immediately bonded over that same sentiment. Yeah. I mean, I guess we all feel, I guess it's not a, it's not an uncommon bond, but a lot of people are afraid to just say something like that. Yeah. And, which is funny. Cause I think that's the easiest thing probably to say to someone is to just, just be real. I mean, don't try to come up with some kind of silly, you know, cause then something stupid comes out of your mouth. Like, well, you can get a puppy. Yes. I've never heard that, thankfully. No one ever said that to me, but I had someone who contributed to the book who someone actually said that to them. You can get a dog. 
Oh yeah. I mean, and people, again, like one coming back to the compassion code, part of being compassionate is also being compassionate for the people who have no idea what to say. Yes. Yes. Because like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it sucks for them too, because one, they've probably not been through something like that Two, They've not received an education around it. Right. And they're not trying to be jerks. They just don't know. And so then they feel like jerks. They're being jerks. You're received as a jerk and you're just like sitting there feeling shame and guilt and embarrassment because I have no idea what to do because I haven't been through this. And so it's like to be compassionate to those people too, who really aren't trying to be terrible people. They just don't have a clue. Mm -hmm. And so it's really just a lack of understanding. And that's part of why I wrote this book is because the number one question I was getting wasn't about like, Hey, can you help me? It was like, Hey, my friend's going through this or my so-and-so is going through this or my colleague's going through this or my boss is going through this. What do I do? What do I say? And even, and get, you know, it's been interesting because it's kind of evolved beyond just like death and into just relationships in general. Like I had a recent lady call to say, my dad's getting remarried. My mom died a few years ago. What do I say? Like, what do I do with this woman, this new woman coming into my life? You know? And so Hmm. even those kinds of situations, which are complicated, our living relationships are also complicated and need compassion. Right. And so not just when somebody dies, but when people are going through a divorce or when they get diagnosed with cancer or when they're, you know, getting back together with their husband or like anything, there's a million situations where compassion can make the situation better. So how did you wind up, um, be having such a big focus on compassion is that because that's a large part of the grief recovery process or is this just something that as you were instructing and you were going through the training and everything that really became obvious to you was it was a tremendous part of the healing process you know that's such a good question that nobody's asked me yet Um, (laughs) (laughs) like that's great um i actually don't even remember how how i like how I realized that compassion was the key. Mm -hmm. Like I don't remember the turning point. I do remember deciding that I wanted to help people know how to say the right thing when the wrong thing happened. Mm -hmm. Like I remember that turning point because I was on the phone with a friend being like, the number one thing people come to me for is not grief. It's for what do I say? Mm -hmm. What do I do? You know? And so really like, I'm not sure where the, why compassion became my main focus because it's not really, I think that there's a lot of tools in grief recovery that lead to compassion, but it's not something we talk about. Um, so I have, I actually have no idea. I'll have to get back. (laughs) I need to think about it. I'm not sure where that came from, but it just became obvious to me somewhere along the way of the last four years writing this book. Yeah. Uh, was like, we really need to be kind. Well, I know too that self-love and self-kindness is something that's been really, really important to me in my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so teaching my clients that has been a big part. Um, so yeah, I, I love that element too, <laughs> that you've included a whole section on um, compassion for yourself as well, not just compassion for others, but that and yeah, that's a that's something that people don't don't think about enough. I think. I think we're the hardest on ourselves. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I was like, and I think we're like, it's funny how the world puts people in your life and connects you. Because part of my company's mission statement is to provide comfort through compassion 
and comedic <laughs> relief because I always have like I need that little bit of laughter through tears and um, also part of the mission statement is I want to change the way we acknowledge grief like totally you know I don't you can talk about it you know I was so afraid to bring it up to my friend and once I said this sucks we it was nonstop communication about this is what happened this is what I went through and it was a year's worth of healing through text messages because there's so many milestones in between the actual event happening and then moving on. You know, she said New Year's Eve was the hardest thing ever for her. And I never realized it. She said, because it ends that year ends my baby's year ends. Everybody else is celebrating, mm -hmm. you know, ready to go on. And I feel like this is like, he's going to be forgotten when the new year starts. And it's these things you don't think of. And they're different for each person yes. too. Like each mm -hmm. person's trigger or each person's, the stimulus that gets to that person's heart is different for each person, mm -hmm. you know? Cause some people it's their birthday. Like for me, it's my, my birthday is like a really hard day for me because, and I actually, it wasn't until this year, which is nine and a half years after my mom died that I realized I actually it's like my connection with my mother. She birthed me because I used to be like, it's because my mom used to make my birthday so special and all that's true. But like, and now as a mom, I think I realize it's because the bond of mother and child is so deep that her absence on my birthday is one of the most painful days because it's cry. <laughs> he's not here, you know? And so it's like, there, and there's nobody who loves you like your mom. There isn't, even if you want them to, or even if you try or even, you know, there's just no such thing. Yeah. So, and also being a mom and like being pregnant, like I also have this weird thing with belly buttons because your belly button is like your connection to yeah. your mother in the womb, you know? And so like, and I love my daughter is like obsessed with belly buttons too, which is really funny. <laughs> And I just like, wow, like that really is this like deep connecting place mm -hmm. for us as human beings. And, and so, yeah, I just, I found that everyone's thing, everyone's moment, and there can be multiple moments throughout the year um, and throughout the day sometimes where you're just like really deeply saddened by something. And, and that what's cool is that, you know, your friend Aubrey had somebody to reach out to and say like, this sucks because because this is the new year and this is the year, like what if people forget? Mm -hmm. And you can be there to say like, well, we aren't going to forget together. Like we're going to yeah. keep his memory live. And, and yeah, that's a really scary thing. So acknowledging her truth, which is fear of losing that memory. And then just being there and saying, no, we're going to be in this together. And like, we're going to make sure let's figure out ways to bring him to life all the time as much as we can. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you. Uh, that was heavy. <laughs> but oh, I forgot. I mean, I know Welcome what I want to say, life. but yeah, no kidding. Well, Somebody you know, yesterday said, "Laura, I just like totally vented like all this stuff on you because I'm and I was in Austin visiting family and friends, and I was like, this is what I do every day, and I love it. Or and if I didn't love it, I wouldn't do it. So it's okay. Like <clears> to me, the 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 like, superficial, I don't I don't really go there anymore because it doesn't. Fill right. me up. Yeah. What's well, 
It's amazing that you can um, continue to stay. So just, I mean, you're always super pleasant and lovely and kind. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how you, way. lovely in a good way. Yes. And I don't, I don't know how you, how you uh, manage that and keep like taking on the burden of everyone's burdens all the time. For me, uh, about three years after, because, you know, after the baby died, we started blog, I started blogging and then I put out the book and I became, then started the nonprofit. And every time somebody knew somebody whose baby died, I got a message or they called me or they texted me. And I got, just got to the point where I was like, I can't take this anymore. I'm reading, trying to send out these packages and do a good thing. And I'm just like overwrought with grief for these stories that I'm reading. How do you, for, for people who are trying to help others in, in situations of grief and loss, how do you fight the compassion fatigue? Well, you read my book, so you probably already know. I know, know the answer. That's a good in there. Um, well, I do want to explain my little compassion curve because I think that it's a really helpful visual tool. Um, I'm not going to draw it because I don't have anything to draw with, but um, I will describe it. So uh, most people know what a standard deviation curve looks like, right? So the, the little, bell curve. For the bell you, curve. Right. <laughs> so like the ends are like very skinny and the top, you know, goes high. So it's a bell curve. So the top is compassion, right? So right in the middle is compassion. And on either side of compassion, so compassion is loving kindness for somebody who's in a time of challenge, right? So just being loving and kind for someone, to someone, with someone. On the, what well, we'll call it the right side, so if you want to visualize like this side mm -hmm. of the, <laughs> the compassion, is empathy. Empathy is feeling with someone. So what you were probably doing, and I feel like compassion fatigue is actually, should be called empathy fatigue. Right. Um, and I have because an so that makes sense. <laughs> so empathy is feeling with someone. So you actually feel so much that it affects you, like, mm -hmm. which is a beautiful thing until it's not, which the next step on the empathy, on the compassion curve, which is past empathy, is burnout. And so if you are overly empathetic, so you have too much empathy, you're always empathizing, you're always feeling with every grief story gets you to the place of feeling like it's your own story then it leads to this burnout, which eventually leads to disconnect. Meaning like for so, you can only go on for so long in burnout mode before you just have to disconnect yourself because it's not safe for you to be there anymore. Right. And then on the other side of compassion, so we'll work our way back up to the curve. We're at compassion. And then we go to sympathy and sympathy is feeling for someone. So it's a little bit more disassociated. Um, it's, it's still caring. It's still loving. It's still like, excuse me, maybe wanting to help. Uh, but it's a little bit more removed. And then on the other side of sympathy is pity. That's even more disconnected. So you're kind of like, oh, that's too bad for them. But like you don't necessarily like feel into it. And then on the other side of pity is also disconnect. So if we go all the way to the other end, we're hitting disconnect on both sides. And what I talk about in the book is how really compassion is the middle and how all compassion has to start with self-compassion. And so if we're not being kind and compassionate to ourselves, then we're going to hit disconnect at some point, whether it's over here on the side of sympathy, pity, and over to disconnect, or if we're going empathy, you know, to burnout, to disconnect. And so to me, and again, there's lots of great tools in the book about how do we avoid getting into this empathy fatigue. 
But one of them is starting by taking care of you. Like you have to fill your own cup first. And I, I know that's like a pretty famous thing in the self-help world is like fill up your own cup, like put on your oxygen mask first, all that kind of stuff. Because if you don't, then you can't take care of anybody else. And eventually you will lead to disconnect and burnout, which doesn't serve anybody. And so like one of the ways, that, and so one of the kind of major ideas, I guess, behind how to avoid empathy fatigue, because especially in the caregiving world, like people like us who love and care so much about people, how, like most people tend to go towards the empathy, burnout, disconnect, that side, mm-hmm. right? So with those people, those people need boundaries. Yeah. Like the number one yeah. way to cure empathy fatigue is by self-care, you know, self-compassion and, and boundaries, and boundaries <laughs> which is part so of true. self-care. Right. And so I, that's, you know, a huge thing is like, how do I, and there's some great books out there about boundaries, but also in my book, I talk about how do you mentally shift so that you can be lovely and kind to people and listen and take on their stories without letting it break your heart over and over and over to the point where you're disconnected from the world. Yeah. And, and I think it is, it's a big, huge problem, right? It's a really big challenge because we do love so deeply and that's a beautiful quality until it isn't. Right. Right. And then you start um, almost resenting the people that you're supposed to be helping. And that's not good. (laughs) That's not good. Yeah, it's true. Because it's like, oh, this is so heavy. This is so hard. Yeah. You know, and I, how do I do this? Like, how do I love them without falling into the pit with them? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get asked that a lot because I do get emails from people and they'll say, you know, they'll tell you what's going on in their life stories. And um, somebody asked, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that? And I'm, I, I am a religious, spiritual person. So I say my prayers and I go to bed and I pray for them. But other than that, that, that's all I can do. And maybe bring them a little bit peace in a moment with, when they open their box. But there are, there has been a few stories because I relate to them because I'm like, oh, that's my daughter's age. That's when I, that's when it's hard when the empathy goes to the, burnout for me because I'm like, Oh, well, what if I was in that position? You know, you put yourself in that. And it's only in the situations like I have a 10 year old daughter. That could be me. You know, we could be in the hospital, you know, doing chemo. So that's kind of, I'm really good about letting it go until it's something that I can put myself in their shoes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that I, again, it's, I talk about this in my book. So if people read it, sorry to be repetitive, uh, but it's really like compassion and being, feeling with people is really powerful. It can provide amazing perspective, Yeah, which is good. It helps us be at peace with where we are. It's like how we can actually come to center within ourselves being like, okay, how do I now find gratitude for my life without diminishing your own experience, without diminishing their experience, right? Because you feeling like, oh my gosh, this could be me. That's a really good perspective giver, right? Because it's like, here I am. I'm in this deep thing. I'm feeling with this person. And it's a moment to feel grateful because without this perspective, maybe I wouldn't appreciate my life or 
you know, and that's not right. something you, you necessarily say to the other person, like, oh, thank right. you for giving me this great perspective. Right. I yeah. tell, like, but I'm not you. Like, no, that's <laughs> yeah. like the worst. Again, not something to say. Please don't say that to people. But within yourself, let that be a guiding post that allows you to not only relate and love them where they are, but also find perspective in your own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, not that I wasn't taught compassion because I have very wonderful parents, but I'm trying now to mindfully teach my girls on how to be compassionate towards other because compassion, that is such a great word. And I don't think it's used enough these days. Um, we need that in our schools, whether you're getting bullied or there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of kids these days whose moms are, are dying young, mm-hmm. you know, and compassion. That's what I, I want my girls to grow up with a compassionate heart, you know, you and go, not just Laura. a sympathetic heart. There's mm-hmm. your next book, Laura, the compassion code for children, how to teach children. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, there is, I will right say <laughs> that there is an amazing book on grief, um, which is about emotions, but it's, it's also by the grief recovery Institute, but it's called when children grieve, which I absolutely love. I think everyone should read it because I don't think it's just for grief, like your traditional, like death grief, but all grieving experiences. All kinds of things. Yeah. Because if you think about kids, like they go through so much change and so many challenges that aren't just somebody dying, but are, you know, like it could be their pet dying. It could be, right. you know, not getting onto the team that they wanted or not getting asked to the dance. There's so much rejection. There's so much challenge, so much pain. And it all feels so permanent when you're little. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard enough when you're big, but it's really, really hard when you're little because you don't know any different. And so like knowing how to be compassionate towards, and there's a little section in my book called Compassion for Teenagers. Um, I have a special place in my heart for teenagers because I think that they just go through the ringer, man. Um, it's just a hard time because your body's changing, yes, your life's changing, the hormones are changing, and people are like, this is the best time in your life, and you're like, what's Mm-mm. wrong with me? No, and it actually starts at age 10 because yeah. I have a 10-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I think, yeah, they're they're called tweens, right? They're yes. peeps. <laughs> mm. Yeah, exactly. That's true, especially as a girl. I think the girls start even earlier than boys. Um, oh, I don't know. My don't 10 know. year old's in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And maybe it just starts earlier now because they're so exposed to so much. I so know. young, you know, I know. And, it's scary. Yeah. I was just thinking that this is totally off the topic that I was just thinking that my husband, that my husband and I need to sit down and have the chat with my son because he's starting fifth grade and that's the year they're going to go to health class and learn all about the birds and the bees. And I was like, I think I'd kind of like to have a conversation with him first. <laughs> like, uh, what the- <laughs> yeah. Emma starts fifth grade too. And um, my cousin's like, look, if you don't tell her about it, somebody else will. And do you mm-hmm. want a little, and I'm like, yeah, but I don't- yeah, I want that little girl. It still do. just feels so be- young though. I remember <laughs> seeming like fifth grade was a lot older when I was there, but they seem so young. It's because they're our babies. <laughs> That's right. I remember yeah. being in fifth grade and having the, that first talk and I came home totally mortified. I was just like, this yes. is terrible. I don't want to know this. And my mom bought me like a, a book about puberty yeah. and I go in, I remember she's ironing and I like go in with the book and I was like, and I was crying and I was like, <laughs> I don't want to learn about this yet. 
she was like, I had like a really big thing about puberty. It was like so scary to me. And she's like, okay, we'll put it somewhere safe. And when you're ready for it, you can look at it. Okay. But, but I was so like, freaked out by going through those physical changes. It was mm-hmm. so scary to me. And like my first friend, I think had her period in fifth grade, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so I was just like, Oh my gosh, you know? And I was really a late bloomer. So I really did have a lot of time, but I still needed to know, you know? And, and then by the time I actually went through puberty, I was just like, come on already. Like, let's do this. <laughs> Where, <laughs> are like, Where are my <laughs> boobs? Where are my boobs? Hey, wait. Exactly. I still ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mine oh. came in full force. It just was like I was 17 instead of 12. <laughs> <laughs> nope, still waiting at 37. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, this has been really, really, really a lovely interview. I don't know why I'm using the word lovely all of a sudden, you do. Aubrey. I know, and you know. Last two days and she thinks when I say lovely I'm being sarcastic so I don't feel that I was like who are we interviewing tomorrow and they're like oh she's lovely and I'm like oh does that mean she's a bitch (laughs) (laughs) no I said I said you're gonna oh you're so lovely like it's very condescending it's kind of like bless your heart bless your heart bless your little heart I hate that you're just so lovely (laughs) it's like when somebody says I love him to death but like there's right. always yeah. a but, but coming after. But lovely to me does not have that connotation. So I definitely oh, didn't take yeah, no, that. Yeah, no, it did that. to me. So I was like, oh, great. So we're going to have a great interview. And they're like, no, for real. She's really good. <laughs> and you I, have been way more than lovely. Like I've uh, enjoyed this thoroughly. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad I got to be here. And I hope that this was helpful for the people who are listening. And I, yeah, I know it will be. Well, we will make sure that the link to your book and all of that good stuff is in the show notes. But uh, do you want to tell people where they can best find you? Yeah, sure. Just laurajack.com is the easiest way. So Laura, L-A-U-R-A, traditional spelling, and Jack, J-A-C-K, like the card. Like it, it, People always want to make it complicated, even though it's Jack. It's like J-A-C-Q-U-E. I'm like, no. No, just Jack. Just, just Jack. Just Jack. Just Jack. Just Jack. <laughs> So I know. So laurajack.com, all lots of free resources in there for people who are going through really hard times. Um, hopefully soon a link to my book. Um, you can already get the Kindle version and now hopefully by the time they listen to this, they will be able to get the print version. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Which is August 16th, right? August 16th. August 16th. Yep. All right. Thanks, Laura. Thank you guys so Have much. Have a good day. You too. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.